0: we are uh, approaching five weeks here studying through the book of Genesis and lessons that we could learn. Uh, we looked at creation and, and how God is a creator God and a triune God. We looked at the fall of mankind. We looked at uh, the warning signs that come in scripture as we looked at Cain and Abel. Um, and, and now... Um, we're going to see what happens post-flood. Last week we looked at Noah and the ark and the things that we learn from him and his family and the way that he believed and he built and because of that he was blessed. And so today we're going to look at a very strange portion of scripture, one that I was taught as a child, but one that is often overlooked in the adult service. So if you would please turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be looking at um, the Tower of Babel this morning. The Tower of Babel. Now, um, the, just, just going to kind of clear the air here. Uh, the actual correct pronunciation in the Hebrew is Babel. Um, but to make it easy on the ears, um, I will stay with, with Babel as that's how we would pronounce it in our English language. Um, and if you're from England uh, or the UK area, it would be Babel. Uh, but we're just going to stick with Babel here just, just to make it easy as we walk through this. Now, um, after the flood, God told Noah, as we looked last week, that Noah and his family were to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. We saw that in chapter 9. Now, if you were to read through chapter 10 of Genesis, you would see that it was happening as people and languages began to multiply. And it looked almost like a simple fulfillment of what God's command was to Noah and his family. It almost looked like obedience. But then we we get to Genesis 11, and we see this bomb that is dropped upon us, this bomb that happens, that there was no obedience whatsoever. There was no spreading. All they were doing was clustering together in one area. And so God comes down, shatters that disobedience, and he made the clustering impossible. Now, I want us... To to dig in here uh, in Genesis chapter 11. Because we're going to see that God began to confuse their language. And he broke humanity into many people groups. And he did this because there are two sins here that we see exposed in scripture. Ones that we often overlook. Now I want us to dig in for just a moment and see what these two sins were. And why God brought his judgment upon them because of it. And ask How can this passage of scripture glorify God? How can it glorify God? So let's look at verse number one in chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. Now I want us to stop right there. If we believe and accept the biblical teaching that mankind had a common origin from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, as we see all the way into chapter 3, and that origin started with Adam and Eve, then this verse alone makes complete and simple sense. They had one language, one origin. There was a time when humanity all spoke the same language instead of hundreds that we have upon the earth today. Now let's go into verse number 2. And it says, and as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now, I want us to stop here. Shinar was another name that was used interchangeably with the name Babylon. Uh, We see this in chapter 10. It was the same name as that of Babylon. Now, the multiplied descendants of the ark here came together to build the city in a tower in rebellion to God's command to spread out all over the earth. But look at verse number 3, and it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen or, or asphalt, as some uh, translations read. And it says, for martyr. Now, I want us to stop here for just a moment. These, these baked bricks and asphalt for mortar is what was used by men to build a tower that not only was strong, but it was a tower that was waterproof, that same material that they used to waterproof the tower is exactly what God told, told Noah to use when he was waterproofing the ark. And if you were to continue reading in the Old Testament and you were to get to the book of Exodus, it's the same material that Moses' mom used to waterproof the basket or the ark of the bulrushes that she placed Moses in before she sent him down the river. So it was something to, to waterproof here. Now, if you were to go back and study in, in ancient archaeology, anybody at history or archaeology buff, you, you love to hear about old structures and buildings. If you were to go back and study, this was a common practice in ancient Babylon. This is how they protected their homes and made them waterproof. So it, it's not uncommon. But I want us to see what happens now in verse number 4. It says, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top left. Sorry, i turned two pages. With its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. The heart of man. The materials used here and this very moment of time relevant to the Tower of Babel show that this was not only disobedience to God's command to fill the earth, but it also shows that man did not believe God's promise to never flood the earth again. They wanted a tall, waterproof tower, a, a one that would protect man against a future deluge or a future flood, a, a massive amount of water that they would see here. Unfortunately, this is one of the first times in this passage that we see a strong state, statement of self against God. Self against God. They said, let us. Let us make the city. Let us build the tower. Now, I want us to note something very important. Most astrological and occult practices have their ties back to this very place, the Tower of Babel. Most practices are tied right here. But I want us to to notice something. There are four statements in this one single verse that are crucial for our understanding. First, this group of people aimed to build a city. Don't forget that. They aimed to build a city. Second, they aimed to build a tower in that city that reaches to the heavens. The third, they wanted to make a name for themselves. And the last one is that they aimed not to be dispersed amongst the whole entire earth as though they were commanded. Now the first two, the building of the city and the building of the tower, correspond with the last two, making a name and not being dispersed. You know, building a city is the way that one avoids being dispersed over the whole earth. And building a tower that reaches to the heaven is the way that one makes a name for oneself. So the city and the tower are outward expressions of inward sins. They're outward expressions of inward sins. The two sins are this, the love of praise. That's the first one, the love of praise. So you would crave to make a name for yourself. And the second one is the love of security. The love of security. To build a city and don't take the risks of filling the earth. Do you know I've studied through scripture and time after time after time I have found that God's will for human beings is not that we find joy in our praises or that we find security in something that we created, but that we find joy and security in knowing and praising God. We find joy and security in knowing and praising God. You know that that's why David said in Psalm chapter 16 that you make known to me the path of life. And it's in your presence that there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. David said right before he made that very statement, he talked about the security that he found only in God alone, that God was his refuge. You know, when when David said these words, when he penned them, it almost seemed that he understood the benefit of this life commitment to God. And that benefit would come and be received not only in this life, but also in the life beyond this. The life that would happen when we were standing in the presence of God, and so the joy and security that David was experiencing right now, he would ultimately receive when he was in the immediate presence of our Creator And he's expressing that here. You know what's very interesting about that? Is that Peter quoted those exact words at the day of Pentecost. He quoted the exact same thing at the day of Pentecost. Why? Because he wanted us to know that we could have full confidence in a life with God. We could have full confidence of of joy, of security, of of protection. Not protection the way that we, we think. Not protection the way that we know. As we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? How often do do we think that, that things should happen the way that we want them to happen and when we want them to happen, but God's ways are not our ways. I want us to think, though, for just a moment about our lives. How often... How often is our life lived for shallow entertainments? How often is our life lived for shallow excitement? This is not what Peter was talking about. This is not what Moses was talking about. This is not what David, this is not shallow. This here is fullness of joy, fullness of protection through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Man, the spectacular sins that we see here in man, even after the flood. Do you know that the flood was a thunderclap of warning to the descendants of Noah to say, this is what happens when you stray from me. And yet we see a picture after the flood that we are no better after the flood than what they were prior to it. Sin didn't just magically go away and people begin to stray from God immediately following the human condition that we have today was the same as it was in Adam and Eve, the exact same. And they decided for themselves what was best. They they thought that they could rise up and claim the place of God. That's the story of mankind to this very day apart from redeeming grace. But I want us to look at what happens in, in verse number 5. It says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now first I want us to take note. He called them the children of man or, or better translated the sons of Adam. The sons of Adam. The the building of this city and this tower was similar to what Adam did when he rebelled against God and he ate of the fruit in the Garden of Eden. It was the same thing. The sinful nature of Adam Adam was passed on from descendant to descendant to descendant up until right now, including you and me. But Man, it says the Lord came down. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower. I want you to write this down for you gold star students. Write it in your Bible. Highlight it. I want you to write down the words, holy scorn. Holy scorn. Moses mocked the tower by saying that God had to come down and see it. He had to come down. Now, the tower was so far from being in heaven that God could not see it. Now, before you jump and say, I thought God could see everything. Just hold on a second. Of course, God can see everything. But the wording here that Moses used in the text, it, it was to show the ludicrous nature of man's belittling pride and his little achievements. That's what the, the, the text is telling us here. That you take risks and you speak with irony and you describe God as peering down in search of some great tower. Now, now what does God do in response though to the, the people? What does he do? The, this spectacular sin of man And in refusing to fill the earth with God's glory, securing life in a city and trying to exalt himself to a place of godliness. Now, look at verse number six. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Whoa, there's a shift. Nothing will be impossible for them. Anything that they propose to do, it will come to pass. The the signals here in just this moment of time that God is not only about to divide their language, but in doing so, he's about to divide one people into many people. One people into many people. He's about to multiply the languages and and the people here. But look at verse number 7. Come, come let us there we go we see it again the triune god having a conference amongst himself come let us go down and confuse their language so that they may know or may not understand one another's speech in this way god begins to disperse the people all over the face of the earth you know this this forced separation of man from babel was god's mercy more than it was God's judgment it was God's mercy you know God in dividing man in this very moment both linguistically and geographically he put a check on the power of man's fallen nature that's exactly what he was doing here he, he, he responded to the presumption and the arrogance of man. And it was, it was making a way that it would be harder for man to communicate with one another. Thus, it would be harder to unite in some global plan. This is what, Jesus was, or this is what God was talking about here in this very moment. And so God, in his sovereignty, built into the world a system. By which the pride of different people groups restrains the pride of other people groups. We see it right here. For the very first time in scripture that God knew the immense potential of the human beings that were created in his own image. He knew the potential that they had. And and he had given them liberty to exalt themselves and design their own security systems without trusting him. But he limited that power. In this very moment of time, he limited the power of man. You know, thousands of languages around the world and thousands of different people groups limit the global aspirations of arrogant, sinful mankind. Now, you may be sitting here and asking, but, Pastor, what do we take away from this passage of Scripture? What else do we learn aside from the things that have already been said? What truths do we see here? Now, before I answer that question, I need us to keep in mind something. When God permits something to occur, he does so for a reason. I need you to keep that in mind. When God permits something to occur, he does so for a reason. It's a part of his plan. I've learned as I studied scripture and and walked the, the life of a believer that God never acts whimsically or haphazardly. He always has a plan. It's never aimless in what he does. So when we see the pride and presumption and rebellion on the plains of Shinar, God knew exactly what he was doing and how he was going to respond to it. You know, this means that the people... And the languages of all over the world are not an afterthought to God. They were a part of his plan. They were the judgment on on sin, yes. But at the same time, they were designed by God to glorify Jesus Christ. That's why we have multiple languages. That's why we have different people groups. So what can we learn? Well, there are a few things I want us to see from this passage of Scripture. First and foremost... Christians are guarded. Christians are guarded. You know, God's division of the world into different languages hinders the rise of a global, monolithic, anti-Christian state that would have the power to simply wipe out all Christians. Because of this separation here, because of the people groups dispersed all over the world. Now we often think that the diversity of languages and cultures and peoples and political states is actually a hindrance to world evangelization, but it's not. The spread of Christ's word goes forth every single day. That's not not the way that God would see from our perspective. Do you know God is more concerned about the dangers of human uniformity than he is about human diversity? I'm going to say that one more time. God is more concerned about the dangers of human uniformity than he is about human diversity. Meaning God is more concerned about people rising up to eliminate Christians more than he is concerned about what different people groups wear or how their hair is styled or what the color of their skin is. He's more concerned about the dangers that come as people gather together to eliminate Christianity. And we see that humans are far too evil to be allowed to unite in one language or one government. That's why the gospel of Christ spreads better and flourishes more now because we have 6,500 languages not just in spite of it so i want to challenge us with something here before we move on to the next point i want to challenge you if you have not to come out on wednesday nights and join us for our bible study we've been walking through the book of Revelation. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse by verse to answer questions about the end times, the prophecy that's been fulfilled, things that were spoken about more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And we're looking at end times implications on the church, but but Christian, I need you to know, church, I need you to know. Revelation chapter 17 gives us several characteristics of a one world religion that will begin to dominate people and multitudes and nations and tongues. But right now, God has put a safeguard on Christians because they've been dispersed all around the globe. So Christians are guarded. The second one I want us to see is great pride is destroyed. Great pride is destroyed. You know, someone. Um, someone made a comment to me just about a week or two ago isn't there going to be in the last days a great global government where christians are in fact persecuted everywhere and simple answer yes yes there is in the last days god will loosen the restraints that now hold back this type of evil you know the antichrist Or the man of lawlessness that Paul calls him in 2 Thessalonians. Or or the beast as John calls him in the book of Revelation 13. It says that he will rise with great global attraction. And there will be horrific persecution that happens for those who are Christians. But there's a link here with the rebels of Shinar. There's a link here. Do you know the tower that they built was a tower called Babel? Do you know that word Babel is... His in Hebrew occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament and it's always translated as the word Babylon. Always translated as the word Babylon. The the, the writer in Genesis 11 here where he says, therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of the earth. It was a put down to the great city of Babylon. It was a put down here in scripture because it meant that Babylon with its vaulted towers and its walls and its gardens and its idolatry is a pitiful effort compared to our God pitiful effort by man and his sinfulness and that name babel or babylon is the name given to the city of the beast in the book of revelation chapter 14. And it says that the glory of Christ shines even though for a brief season Babylon is drunk with the blood of Christian martyrs. She will, just like the Tower of Babel, be put to naught. It's a promise of the destruction of evil here uh, by Jesus himself. And that description marks her latter days in the book of Revelation. This picture of the destruction of this temple here. This tower, this man-made tower to exalt self over God. But I want you to hear what the book of Revelation chapter 18 says. Now this is not um, a pass for you to get out of coming Wednesday night. (laughs) Revelation chapter 18 says her sins are heaped high as heaven As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, she gave her um, a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. What a beautiful promise from God. A beautiful promise for the believer So yes, in the last day, God is going to loosen the restraints that he has put on the nations. They will swell with pride. Christians will suffer. But I love what Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica when he said, and then in one instance, Christ will come from his infinite height and slay the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth. Something that we have to look forward to The man of lawlessness being slayed by the breath of Christ's mouth. And Babylon will be no more. The pride of man will be eliminated from the earth because of Christ. So the story here. This account in the book of Genesis chapter 11 is a foreshadowing of what is to come for the future of the church. It's a foreshadowing to us of the victory that comes at the end because of the victory of Christ. So great pride was destroyed. But every people group is also claimed. Every people group is also claimed. That's the third thing I want you to see this morning. The authority and the power of Jesus is magnificent because he lays claim on every single language group and every single people group. Look at the verse on the screen. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of what? It's on the screens, people. What is it? Make disciples of all. You remember what I told you in the Greek, that word all means? All. It means all. It means everything. So go and make disciples of all nations. Go and reach all people groups. All people will be impacted by the gospel. So yes, in response to sin, God divided the languages and he divided the nations. But in the end, it magnifies the authority and the power of Christ to make disciples in every single nation language in every single language his power is all the more glorious because it breaks in to all the different people groups and brings salvation it's glorious so yes yes the gospel glorified is the next thing i need us to see this morning is that the gospel is glorified the gospel is glorified you know, the, the same must be said about Christ's gospel in particular. The message of his death and resurrection. The, the, the message of forgiveness and justification. You know, Romans 1:16 is a is a verse that's on the screen for you. It's a verse that, that I constantly read to myself as a pastor, constantly read to myself as a believer. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, meaning that the gospel is for all people. It is for all people everywhere, in every language, in every nation. The multitudes will be able to hear and receive the gospel. Do you want to know what my favorite part, though, about the gospel is? My favorite part about the gospel is that it's not provincial. It's not provincial. It's not some tribal religion. It breaks into every language. It breaks into every single people group. And if there were no diversity of language, if there were none whatsoever, if the sin of Babel had not happened with its judgment, the global glory of the gospel of Christ would not shine as beautifully as it does in the uh, prisms of thousands of languages if this would not have occurred right here. Chapter 11, the book of Genesis. The gospel of Jesus Christ would not, would not be as beautifully glorious if this didn't occur. If we all still had one language. Man, the gospel of Jesus Christ is glorified. But then my favorite one, and the last one, is that Jesus is given praise because of this. Jesus is given praise Pride has been destroyed. The gospel has been glorified. And it brings praise, all praise to Jesus. Do you know that the praise that Jesus receives from all the languages is more beautiful because of its diversity? It's more beautiful because of the diversity than it would be if there would only be one language and one people singing in that same language. We're going to be diving into chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation this Wednesday and there's a verse as I was studying this week that stuck out and it says that they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation that you have made them a kingdom And priests to our God and they shall reign on earth forever. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. But look at Revelation 7, two chapters later. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. What does it say? From every nation, from all tribes and all people and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful picture of all the nations, all the diversity of languages, all the diversity of people worshiping the Creator God. The Creator God in the same place. It was the sin on the plains of Shinar. It was the sin at the Tower of Babel that gave rise to the multiplying of languages that ends in the most glorious praise to Christ from every language on Earth, and as we started the service this morning, as we started the service, I I quoted a verse from Psalm chapter 150. It says, "Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord." I love a song uh, that I hear quite frequently on the radio that says, "Even the rocks cry out." So I'll cry out, everything that has breath will praise the Lord, everything. So church, my challenge for you today, not only is to come Wednesday as we dive into the the book of Revelation further, but my challenge for us today is to never, ever, ever overlook a portion of scripture. God used every single word and every single verse and every single phrase and every single chapter to bring about a part of God's plan. And because the part of God's plan was to to multiply languages, we have people like the Gertises who are about to embark on a journey to go reach a people group who don't speak the same language that we do. And so if you guys would... Um, At this time, we're going to play a short video for you uh, to introduce uh, Mark and Mindy, and then you guys can just come right on up. Do you guys want the table or anything? All right. So go ahead and roll that video. If you guys would, turn your attention
1: to the screen. We are going to Mexico. Our passion is to reach the lost and to love people through compassion ministry. Over the years, God has developed in us a love for the people of Mexico, especially the children.
2: There are so many children that live in extreme poverty in Mexico and throughout Latin America, and they just live without hope. It is our passion to bring them that hope and the love of Christ. We are excited that we will be working with Child Hope, which is an Assemblies of God Compassion ministry. Child Hope provides quality education, nutritious meals, medical and dental care, and most importantly teaches the children about the love of christ and the exciting thing is these children then share that love of christ with their family members
1: we're also excited about doing church planting one out of six people in latin america know jesus we want to reach the other five through church planting which is the greatest evangelistic tool in the church's toolbox both of us felt called into missions at a very young age And that calling into missions has only grown through the years as we've gone on missions trips and majored in cross-cultural studies in college.
2: We've also spent over 20 years working within the schools in various positions. So transitioning to working within a school and educational and compassion setting in Mexico is really who we are.
1: We've also pastored for 27 years and Uh, We're excited about taking that experience with us on the field to work alongside the National Church in helping to plant churches and then also mentor young pastors. Over the
2: last few years, we have clearly sensed that God has been telling us the time to go is now. There have been many, many confirmations and we know within our heart of hearts that now is the time.
1: For 30 years we waited. Meanwhile, uh, there was people in Mexico. Waiting for us to come. And the Lord has clearly told us that now is the time to go, and they can't wait any longer. So we must obey that call and go. And so we want to thank you for praying for us and for partnering with us so that we can go. Good morning. It's so good to see you this this morning, and we are thrilled to be here. We are Mark and Mindy Gertis; You can just call us Mork and Mindy. For those of you that are part of that generation 40 and above, if you're younger, got to go on YouTube to check what that's all about. But uh, we are on our way to Mexico, and we are thrilled to be with you today. I want to say a special thank you to your pastor, Pastor Joshua, for having us come today. It was so kind of him to do that, and uh, what a powerful message this morning! That was a spectacular word uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, how many know God loves diversity? Amen. I, I was going to Revelation seven nine before you were there. I, you know, I just just I was picturing in, in that scripture around the throne all those tr- people groups. Amen. Worshiping the Lord. Amen. That's what it's all about, and we get to be a part of that, but um, Mindy is going to share with you a little bit this morning about uh, our family.
2: So we have lived in Ionia for the last 18 years. We know many of you, Amy LaForge in the back was my very, very first friend, even before we moved to Ionia, so... It's it's kind of like we're home, you know. But if you don't know a lot about us, we have been, like I said, in Ionia for 18 years. We pastored the Assembly of God Church for 17 and a half of those. Our youngest was six months old when we moved here. Our oldest was a first grader. So, our oldest went off to college, came back for three weeks at the beginning of COVID, never left. So she's back. We love having her back home with us. Um, her name's Emily and our, we have three sons. Our son Ben is in his final, no, almost final year of college in Springfield, Missouri. Our son Jonathan has been living in Australia for the last two and a half years, studying sound engineering at Hillsong College, and our youngest, Andrew, is about to graduate and head off to college himself. We've been married for 28 years, and we live right here in town.
1: Praise the Lord. Mindy's going to tell you a little bit about how she, uh, how God spoke to her when she was a little girl, and where all this began in her life.
2: I love it when he just throws things at me and says, "Mindy's going to." That's great. So Mark has his own story about how he got to this point, but I have my own story, as we all do have our own story, and God starts at a very, very young age in every one of us, writing our own story. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of those pieces, all of those chapters come together to form a beautiful story. Do you believe that? Even when it's in the ugly part of the story, do you still believe that God creates that into a beautiful story? I believe that too. So when I was a little girl, my mom and dad divorced and in the early 70s, that was not a that was not cool. <laughs> It's still not cool. But back in the 70s, it was almost taboo. And so I had a rough, rough time growing up. A lot of, I, w- I was kind of a, a really shy, quiet kid anyway, and, and it, was, it was very hard on me. And I remember, it was after my mom moved out, and I went to vacation Bible school. And I love that our community does the, the, the community VBS because that discipleship, that week of discipleship is life-changing for kids. You may not see it in the present, but let me tell you, standing here, VBS as a six-year-old had a profound effect on me. So as a six-year-old, I remember the end of the year program and we sang a song Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And as a six-year-old, I did not know what the word consecrated meant. But I knew in my heart what it meant. I knew that I was giving my life and saying, Jesus, is yours. And then when I was a 12-year-old, our junior choir did a, a musical called Down by the Creek Bank. And there was a song that I had a solo. And it was, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can do for all the things you've done for me? Is there anything I can do? I'm willing to be used, dear Lord, whatever the cost may be. So if there's anything I can do for you, just make it known to me. Again, I was 12, and I meant it with everything in my heart. I didn't know what he was asking me to do but I knew I was willing to do it. And, of course, I went through those years when I was a little bit rebellious and making stupid choices because we do that, right? That's the ugly of our story. <laughs> but God makes it beautiful. So God brought people into my life that spoke into me. I had a friend in high school. I had, I had been living with my dad all those years, and after my freshman year of high school, I moved in with my mom. And I'd only been there a couple weeks, and I had a new friend. Her name was Kristen, and she looked at me one day. She and her family were preparing to go on the mission field, which I know was not a mistake of God, to put her in my life. And she looked at me one day, and she said, you are spit. And I said, "Uh, excuse me? What do you mean by that? She said, you are spit. Revelation 3.16 Because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. She was telling me I needed to get my heart right with God. And she was right. And so on July 4th, 1986, en route to South Manitou Island, I said, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. And I never looked back. And I didn't know at that time that God was saying, Hey, one of these days you're not going to be in the US anymore. I'm calling you to the mission field. I didn't realize that, but God kept putting people into my life that were missions minded. And honestly, I had a really bad attitude towards them. <laughs> a really bad attitude. And 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 I think that was probably just my flesh, you know, because they were all about missions and it bothered me. And one day I said, "Fine." I will go on a missions trip. I will see what the big deal is. And I signed up at my college to go on that trip. And I had been searching and just really within myself trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but I could not make myself sign up for those teaching classes. And as soon as I signed up to go on that missions trip, it was like this weight just lifted off of me and God said this is it. And I almost skipped through the hallways of my college because I was just giddy. Just giddy because I knew that God had spoken to me and I knew that's what I was going to do.
1: So when I was about 10 12 years old, I had a dream and uh I had grown up and grew up in church and and um uh Give my, give my heart to the Lord. When I was pretty young, but I had a dream about that time in my life, and in this dream, this huge hand came out of heaven, and it brought me up to heaven, and I remember seeing Jesus. And it, the Bible says that he he is the radiant, he radiates the glory of God. He is the splendor of God. That's true. It was incredible looking upon Jesus, and in this dream, and. It was amazing. Heaven was just incredible. I heard the most beautiful sounds that I had never heard before. And I saw the most beautiful things, the most beautiful colors, and everybody was happy and peaceful, and every need was being met in their life. And it was just awesome. And then I was brought back down to earth, and I started weeping and crying. Why? Because I wanted to be back up in heaven so bad. And I think that's how it is for those who... Have gone on to be with the Lord, our loved ones that are with Jesus. They would not want to come back to this earth in in its fallen state. And so that hand came back up out of heaven and brought me back up to heaven again. And I remember seeing Jesus again, and I was so thankful to be there, and 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 uh, just was worshiping Him. And then He He spoke to me. He said, "Mark, this is a wonderful place, isn't it?" And I said, "Yes, it is." And He said you know, it's in my heart that everyone come to heaven. I don't want anybody to miss out on heaven. That's God's heart. That's the Father's heart. And he said, will you work for me, Mark, so that other people can come to this place? And I said, yes, I will, I will work for you. Never knew that God was calling me to be a missionary at that point, but God was using all of that God uses many different things in our life to put us on track towards His plan, and it was later on when I was a senior in high school I went on a mission trip. That was 32 years ago. Went to Mexico City on a mission trip. anybody ever been on a mission trip before? Awesome! Praise God! I encourage you, if you ever get a chance, go on a mission trip. It'll change your life. I went there on this mission trip to Mexico City and. While I was there on that trip to Mexico City, God spoke to me and said very clearly, he said, Mark, this is what I want you to do the rest of your life. This is what you're going to be doing. And I said, hey, God, wait a second. You got the wrong guy. You see, at that point, I had plans in my life. I grew up on a farm in Minnesota and was going to follow in my dad's footsteps and farm. And and so I said, God, I've I was I, I've got plans here. I'm going to farm. And I started having a Moses conversation with God, trying to explain to him why I wasn't the right person for what he was asking me to do. Anybody ever have a Moses conversation with God like that? Yes. I was trying to convince God, and finally, after God was telling me, no, this is what I want you to do, I finally gave in to God and said, God, if this is really what you want me to do, then I'll do it. And a weight came off of my shoulders. I was so excited. I told everybody on the team that God had called me into missions, and I did an about face and went uh, to North Central University uh, to train for the ministry, and and had to uh, without any scholarships, I had to pay my way through college, and God helped me through it. But uh, God was faithful. But rewind back to the missions trip in Mexico City while I was there one day we went out to minister to this at the city dump you might wonder why in the world would you go out to the city dump to minister well believe it or not there were people that were living out there at the city dump and I'll never forget seeing families and even children literally digging through the trash we think we have it bad in America, friends. Um, they have a poverty that we know nothing about. And I'll never never forget those images. They stuck with me, and they are still with me to this day. God used all of that. And so, I don't know if you realize, but 42% of those who live in Mexico live on only a dollar a day. Isn't that amazing? There's 22 million children that are living in poverty, many of them extreme poverty, where they have no access uh, to uh, a doctor. They don't know where their next meal is coming from, and they don't even have access to a bathroom. That's hard to imagine, isn't it, Um, and living on a dollar a day. There's many children that are living without hope, but this is where Jesus comes in.
2: We are going to be working with an organization called Child Hope. Child Hope is a compassion ministry. It is run through the Assemblies of God, which is our sending organization. Child Hope is currently the largest evangelical school system within all of Latin America. There are approximately 300 schools within Latin America currently serving 100,000 children. There have been over a million children that have gone through the Child Hope program since it started. In Mexico, it's still in its infancy stages. There are currently only six schools in Mexico that are open. They are working to get more schools open. And through Child Hope, it's a sponsorship program similar to Compassion International, if you are familiar with Compassion. So the children are sponsored by people within the U.S. They they apply for the program and... Um, the kids who are sponsored are are some of the most impoverished, hopeless children. But I don't mean they're hopeless without hope. I mean they haven't yet found that hope. And so they are given a, a hot meal every day. They're given their medical care, their dental care, their education. Most of all, they are given the hope of Jesus Christ. They are taught of jesus they bring that hope back to their families back home and i kid you not when i say communities whole communities are being changed i mean that these kids are being brought up some of them are becoming teachers and pastors and their communities are being changed through the hope of jesus christ
1: praise god that's incredible one of the things that might surprise you is that mexico has become known as the forgotten mission field. And uh, throughout Latin America, one out of six knows Jesus, so we are reaching the other five. That's our, that's our vision. But even in Mexico, believe it or not, 82% are religious, but in many parts of Mexico, like in Guadalajara, where we're going to be based, only about 2% of them actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. So many of them are lost without Christ and they need the hope of Christ. Amen. Many communities in the Guadalajara area don't even have a Bible preaching church. No full gospel church, no Bible preaching church whatsoever. And so we are going to be working with the national church to help plant more churches. How many know that uh, Guadalajara needs more churches, amen? We want to be a part of that. And uh, uh, just being able to come alongside them and help them, them them, with that. So going back to our story, we had uh, gone to North Central, gone into ministry. And back then, the Assemblies of God, we were going to go on the mission field, right? Back then, 30 years ago, the Assemblies of God always encouraged their missionaries to get pastoral experience. So we thought, okay, we'll pastor for a few years and then go on the mission field. Well, that two, three years ended up becoming 27 years of pastoring. How I many know oh, God doesn't just order your steps, but He orders your stops? Did you hear what I said? Amen? That's why there was a reason why we were in Trenton, Missouri. There was a reason why we were in Lake City, Michigan. There was a reason we, why we were in Ionia, Michigan. 17 and a half years and so God used all of that as preparation so we for what we're going to be doing on the mission field so we were praying God show us when it's time for us to go on the field we were praying God what about the mission field and we even got discouraged a little bit about that wondering if this would ever happen until two years ago we were on our way up north to Sleeping Bear Dunes. How many have been there before? Sleeping Bear Dunes? Most beautiful place in Michigan. And on the way there, we came across a major motorcycle accident that had just happened. And we pulled off to the roadside, on the side of the road, and we began to pray. It was two people involved. And as we were praying, I'm beginning to feel the tug from the Holy Spirit that I needed to get out of the car and go pray for those people. But I was holding back. I was thinking, but I I can pray while I'm in the car, you know, because I'm a little bit squeamish, and I was thinking, well, I can just pray while I'm in the car, real spiritual, right, real pastoral, right? So uh, I'm praying in the car, and until the Holy Spirit spoke through Mindy, and she said, you need to get out of this car and go pray for those people, you're a pastor. So and now after I'm under all this conviction, I obediently get out of the car, get out of my comfort zone, and I went and prayed and ministered to those people. The man had passed away pretty instantaneously, and they were already laying a sheet over him. But they were working with this woman. And they were all around her. And I felt the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart. Go pray for her. So I went and I prayed for her. I'm just praying out loud. God, would you just touch this lady? Heal her, Lord. Raise her up and help these workers. I'm praying out loud and for her and the workers As they're working on her and trying to help her. And pretty soon they're doing CPR on her. And I'm praying, oh God, give her life. Heal her. Raise her up even, Lord. You just speak your healing over this life right now. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Just in my own simplicity, in simpleness, just praying, pleading, God, touch this lady. And... After about five, ten minutes of that, I didn't realize until later that they were no longer doing CPR on her, and it was because they got her back, and I just began to thank God, right? I just began to thank the Lord for what had just happened, that she was still with us. The Lord had brought her back, and I was just taking all of this in, and the seriousness of what just happened, realizing what took place, that it was a matter of life or death for this couple. And I was just thanking God that we had a chance to be able to be there to pray. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly. And he said, it was not a mistake that you were here. It was a divine appointment. How many know God has divine appointments in our life? Moments where God is doing something in our life that God wants to use us in. And then God spoke to me very clearly. He said um, these words. He said, you've been waiting, you and Mindy have been waiting to go to the mission field and there's people that have been waiting for you to come and minister to them and they cannot wait any longer. It's a matter of life or death eternally for them and the time to go is now. And so we didn't tell anybody what had happened and um, the Lord spoke through a lady in our church a few days later and she said, Pastor, I just got to talk to you. And she said, I just sensed the Lord saying over you and Mindy, the time is now. Nobody had told her that. The very words that God had spoken to me on that roadside. And it's the fullness of time, Pastor, actually. God is calling you and Mindy to the nations. And you need to obey that call. We realized later that night, Mindy and I, that we had been in the ministry 25 years to that very day. That was our first Sunday 25 years earlier. How many know God is always on time? Maybe you've been waiting for God's fulfillment and a promise, something that he's called you to do. God always keeps his promises and he's always on time. And so I just want to leave you with 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 that says, for he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for every one of us to be used by him. Maybe not on the mission field, but you're right in the middle of a mission field right here in Ionia. Amen. To do the work of missions right here, even across the street. And uh, God wants to use you in special ways. Let him use you. Let him fulfill those things. Pray for us. Would you do that? Grab a prayer card. Um, and pray for us. You can sign up for our newsletter and follow us as we raise our budget to go to the field. We're at 37%, praise God, right now. And uh, maybe God would lay on your heart to partner with us even. And uh, um, we would love for you to do that. And also, if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can go to Mark and Mindy's Journey to Mexico and follow us on Facebook. But thank you so much for allowing us to be here Pastor Joshua, praise God. What a great group of people you have here. Amen. God bless you guys. It's so good to be home. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'm actually
0: going to have you guys just stay right here with me. So I'm going to, I'd like to close us in a word of prayer, um, but pray over them and their journey and the things that they're having to walk through and get prepared for. Um, I've had I've had some time to be able to sit with uh, with Mark uh, over coffee and, and talk about this journey a little bit more uh, extensively and um, you know our our goal uh, in having missionaries come I mean I don't know if you guys remember Nick and Erica Hemmerin were here with us a couple of, of months back who are about to leave for Africa um, and and this is another couple these are these are couples that are, are about to do the work of God or are in the midst of doing the work of God. Uh, and as a church, we want to be able to partner with them uh, as they begin to uh, walk out the call that God has placed upon their life, uh, as, as though we don't always get opportunities to go overseas. Not every single person in this church is going to get called uh, to become a missionary overseas somewhere else. Um, and so we as a church uh, should, uh, should be scripturally, we should support people that um, not just those who pastor churches, but those who leave um, and go uh, to continue the work of God. And so I just want to pray over you guys, um, and then pray over us as a church, and then uh, give you guys an opportunity to get back there so you're not bombarded by people. So if you don't mind, I'm actually going to stand behind you so I can um, kind of... And so God, we just come to you in this place. And we, just, uh, we thank you for this couple here, for Mark and, and for Mindy, Lord, for them answering the call that you have placed upon their life. Uh, not just to pastor for the last 27 years, but to step out in faith, God, to be used in a different country with a different language, a different people group, just like we heard about today, God. And that's all a part of your plan uh, for the glorification of your son. And so, God, I'm praying for strength and endurance yes. Uh, as they uh, continue to walk through this process. God, I, I pray for, uh, for the finances, God, to come in, that they need to be able to uh, support them as they go on this journey. I, I know that there are lots of things ahead to prepare. I know they have to go for language school, and so God, I pray for uh, just clarity of mind as they have to navigate decisions and transitions. I pray that we as a church not only lift them up uh, daily and weekly in prayer, God, but that we as a church can rally financially to help be a support to them. Uh, God, use them greatly. Uh, let them be instruments, tools in your hand as they minister to families, to, to to widows, to children, to to workers, God, as they plant churches, as they work with children. Uh, God, bring the, uh, the love of your son through them into the lives of people so that families and communities and even that country can be changed uh, for the gospel's sake for your kingdom to go forward we just pray right now uh, over them in the name of Jesus that they would go uh, with a boldness uh, that they would continue to to fervently seek after you for their own growth and development that people would come alongside of them to be an encouragement to them as they go God Um, and as us as a church that we would never forget the truth of the gospel that the gospel would be something not only we speak to ourselves every day god but we bring to the people in our our circle of influence help us to bring hope and life change help us to to show uh, mercy and, and grace to the people around us in our workplaces our neighbors our neighborhoods even in our families god we all know people who are lost and hurting who have no hope and so God, use people alike, like those in this church, but also use people like Mark and Mindy as they, they respond yeah. to that call. As And maybe, God, there's someone here in this church who you are calling into missions. Yeah. And so God, use situations and circumstances yeah. like this to bring about those, those, uh, that conviction and that response to you, God. I just ask and pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Um, if you guys would like to head on back to your table after you get your things. Uh, church family, real quick, we are so thankful that you are here uh, with us today. Uh, just don't forget, there is no youth group this evening. If you have not had an opportunity to sign up for uh, the, um, the potluck that's happening in two weeks, please stop by the connection point, uh, as well as any guests that have connection cards And if you've not had an opportunity to give, uh, you have the ability to do so now, um, or you can go on to the church website. Outside of that church, I love you. I hope to see you Wednesday at 6.30 for our Bible study on the book of Revelation. And you are sent.